This is the Uptake Podcast with your host, John Taylor. Welcome, Angela. Thanks, John. It's good to be here. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for coming today. That sure. that felt like the beginnings of a of a talk show, or maybe <laughs> maybe an NPR show. It did sound a little like what I hear on NPR whenever I turn it on. <laughs> it's good to be here <laughs> in my son's room recording this thing in a couple of lawn chairs. But it works. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So I'm joined today by my friend Angela, who is a mental health counselor and a life coach, if I get your- Yes, that is your, correct. Your, your line of work, correct? And we're here just to kind of talk about what you do and maybe your perspective on mental health issues and the the type of work that you do with your clients and why you do it. And I, I've been looking forward to having this conversation. Well, uh, good. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of fertile ground for discussion, but- um, Obviously, won't have time to explore all kinds of things before you just get tired of talking to me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy to share whatever I can because I think it's an important topic. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I thought maybe it'd be helpful to start with just uh, maybe start from the top with what you do. And again, I'm I'm using the words that that I've I've seen that you use to describe your work as a mental health counselor and life coach. What is a mental health counselor? Maybe starting there. Okay. There's lots of different terms for counseling. You can, some people call us therapists, some people call us counselors. In the state of Florida, the official title is licensed mental health counselor. And so it's exactly as as the name implies. It is a place for people to come who feel that they are struggling with something. People who are either, you know, a lot of people come to me already having had a diagnosis through a physician or through a, a psychiatrist, which is also a physician. Um, but a lot of people just come because they're struggling with something. And it's it's sometimes it's not as dramatic as many people may think either. person going through a difficult divorce, a person who's uh, empty nest for the first time. I uh, have a lot of college students, largely because we're in Tallahassee, and college students who are away from home for the first time, that's a very intimidating process for a young adult who's spent the last 18 years with their parents telling them what time to get up, what time to go to bed, when dinner's ready. And Absolutely. Then sudden, you know, suddenly they're in this environment where they're in complete control. My mom still tells me all those things. <laughs> <laughs> I need the guidance. <laughs> I think everybody probably does. <laughs> I will probably need to talk to you about it when she stops doing that for me, just as you suggested. (laughs) Right. Well, I think everybody likes that. Um, I think there's a security in somebody telling you, you know, this this is when we're going to do this or that. And I think everybody kind of likes that security. And for someone who's only 18 years old and has never had that opportunity, it's very intimidating. Yeah. And even and and I don't disagree with what you're saying either. As an adult. If I'm going on a trip, I kind of like when everybody says, this is what we're doing now. And I'm like, okay, let's go do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be the passenger on this. <laughs> I don't mind being a passenger at all. <laughs> so um, the other part of your work uh, is life coach. How mm-hmm. is that different from mental health counselor? Life coaching is is probably more direction oriented. People come looking for 
where they're headed next very often. This applies to a lot of these young adults that I see who are in college. Um, it's interesting because something that uh, has been researched extensively in recent years is the uh, idea of choices. And it turns out that because we have more choices in 2019 than humans have ever had, and it's choices in regard to everything, what you do for a career, to what books do you read, to what cereal do you buy at the grocery store, choices, it turns out, actually are confusing us more than we actually think. People have a harder time making a decision when they have more choices than when the cereal aisle used to contain 10 cereals. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Now the cereal aisle runs down both sides of the aisle and it's hundreds and hundreds of choices. And people have a hard time making a decision. When we see that that extrapolates to day-to-day -day life that many young adults have a really hard time when they go into college because they don't know the direction that they want to go. Even mm -hmm. if you want to do something with technology, there's probably 50 different careers you could have within the technology field. If you want to do something in medicine, there's probably 50 directions you could go with that. And I see it not only with young adults, but I see it with older adults who maybe are looking for a career change, or they've had something sort of upend their life, like a divorce or the death of a spouse, or uh, birth of a child. Lots of factors come into our lives that make us, you know, ask questions about where we are and where we're headed. And is that, I take it, where a life coach, where you would come in as a life coach to help per, uh, someone make those, mm -hmm. sift through the choices? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's more about guidance and helping someone, I'm, I'm imagining, organize their thoughts Get their thinking mm -hmm. sort of clear about their planning. That's a As very good way to put it. What you just said about organize their thoughts, because people do come in with either a million thoughts or no thoughts at all. Mm -hmm. Like they know they want to do something, but they're just not sure what that thing is. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's different because they don't typically come with any kind of mental health issue. Right. Now, of course, I, theoretically, I guess you could say we all have a mental health issue of one kind or another because none of us is perfect. Sure. But there's a difference between a depressed person who comes into my office and someone who's looking for a direction to, to steer their life. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I know those are distinct titles, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, for what you do. I can imagine that there would be crossover, right? Someone could come to you in the second category looking for life coaching mm -hmm. and as it turns out, I guess you could uncover that they also need mental health counseling as well. That's absolutely true. There is a lot of crossover. And sometimes the the, the two things, you know, it's sort of the chicken or the egg. They're not sure which came first, the, the indecisiveness about where they're headed or the depression, for example, or the anxiety that is being created. You know, it's like, which one of these came first? I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, they're not really sure, I should say. Uh so sometimes it's sort of unearthing that as well. Mm -hmm. And and even with career choices, you know, I can find that people feel stuck and maybe that has to do with something that was said to them by a teacher when they were 10 years old or a parent when they were 15 years old. And so they're confused about career choices because of some of those factors too. And, and so the mental health aspect does come into it. Yeah. And now do you in your practice tend to work with some you mentioned college students. Uh, is there a predominant demographic that you work with, or is it pretty evenly distributed across 
gender, age, socioeconomics, or is it focused in any one area or two? I feel like in in my particular practice, it's been varied, very broadly varied, uh, which is great. I like that kind of excitement and interest rather than just having the same kind of people coming in all the time. I like the the nuance of the difference. Um, I've had I had someone one time who was ninety five years old, and you would think that a ninety five year old it's like my gosh, haven't they figured this out yet? <laughs> <laughs> but yet this person who was active and vibrant, and probably still had had many years ahead of of her, um, just was going through some stuff and wanted somebody to talk to. Yeah, and so it was very interesting and exciting to me. Yeah. How about that? Do you know, in that particular case, and I know, obviously, we can't get into any details, right. I, I wouldn't ask you to, but I don't know if you can share, I'm imagining that scenario, a 95-year-old, how did they get turned on to contacting you? Did Was that of their own volition? Like, they looked you up, mm-hmm. or were they, refer, you know? It was of their own volition, um, and, and I was very, and I said this to the individual, too, that I was very proud of that person, because she grew up in a generation and time where counseling was not looked at as openly as it is now. And she said, she was just a, you know, a horse of a different color. She was very open to everything. And she said, well, I got a problem and I need to fix it. And and was just very matter of fact about things. And I mean, this was years and years ago. So, you know, for all I know, this person's 125 now. <laughs> well, thanks to you. <laughs> no doubt. No, Let's kidding. give credit where credit is due. <laughs> You probably extended that person's <laughs> lifespan by 30 years. So one hopes, right? That sounds right to me. <laughs> what motivated you to start down this path? Is it something that you knew as a young person? Hey, I'd like to help people. And I think I want to be a counselor or a therapist or psychologist. Or did you discover it? Later on, after trying some other things, how did you how did you get into doing this kind of work? A little of both. Uh, many years ago, my first college degree was uh, in education. I got a master's degree in education many years ago and taught elementary school, and I enjoyed that very much. And then took a little break and had three children, and then went into working as a youth director for a, almost twenty years. I did that, and prior to becoming a youth director. I was really considering counseling at that point and had been accepted into a program at our rival school in Gainesville and was planning to go there. And uh, just life circumstances and, and a move with my family and everything changed that. So I sort of put it on hold, decided to stay at home for a while. Um, and then when when I I don't want to say that I got tired of being a youth director because I really loved it and I loved every minute of it, but I was ready for something different. And all of my careers in teaching school to being a mother, to being a youth director, to being a counselor have all been about helping people. I think that's just been a drive of mine since I was a small kid. You know, if every, mm-hmm. if ever there was a, a opportunity to volunteer, I, I was, you know, one of those people. Yeah. And I, I just think it's sort of something that's been deeply embedded in me, probably I would suggest from my parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. I, it is, it does seem to be uh, a calling, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, like people seem mm-hmm. to be, if they're going to stick with it anyway, mm-hmm. um, Seems like you have to really love that kind of work. Do you ever find that in your work, I mean, you're dealing with people that have very, you know, uh, heavy um, issues, things mm-hmm. to talk about, really wrestling with things. Mm-hmm. And you strike me as an empathetic person and a caring person. So 
you're not immune to feeling sympathy for those folks. Right. So I'm just imagining, projecting, I guess, that if if I was in that role, I, I could see, uh, you know, that that takes a lot out of you. You know, you, you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of having to take that sort of um, those feelings and, and help the person process them. And that's mm-hmm. so do you ever is that ever a challenge where you feel like, man, this is this just takes a lot out of me. So at the end of the day, I'm I got nothing. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't care about anybody now. It's five o'clock. I'm I'm done caring. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right to a certain extent. And you know, something that I learned in in the early years of doing this is that you have to be careful how you organize your day. When people call me on the phone to make an appointment, I will sort of ask them, Can you give me an idea of what's going on? Yeah. Some statement like that. And, you know, people will will say some things and it will give me an idea. Uh, sort of of what I think is is going on. And I sort of arrange my day where I don't have six people who in a row who've recently lost a spouse yeah. or uh, three people who have uh, certain personality disorders that are particularly difficult to deal with because it's, it is exhausting. And I'm a human being too. And as a, as a counselor, you know, we have to protect ourselves. My own mental health is, is very important to me too. Yeah. And so I'm very, um, I'm very good, I think, about creating boundaries for myself that at the end of the day, I try very hard to go home, not answer my phone until the next day, put my anything to do with work away and spend time with my family. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I guess I took for granted, you know, thinking about your interactions with a, uh, a medical professional, you know, you go to see a doctor or anyone and you just get on the calendar and you're scheduled for you know three o'clock and mm-hmm. I, it never i guess in those moments you're so focused on yourself and why you're there and the stress of that right. mm-hmm. it's easy to forget about the the doctor or the sure healthcare provider whoever it is the counselor in your case that they're going through a day as well mm-hmm. and who knows who they were just seeing and what that was about and absolutely and, and here i am with my my baggage or my medical condition whatever it is and i need that and I'm expecting you to be at the top of your game, but it's not very, you know, and it, I know you're not looking for that empathy coming back from your, right. your your clients, but I can imagine you've got to manage it just the way you said. And You do. And you have to be really diligent about self-care too. Things like sleeping adequate number of hours, eating healthy meals, taking a break in the middle of the day, even if it's 30 minutes long to eat something and just relax for a few minutes before the next person comes in. Because I agree with you. I think about like oncologists and I, I, I don't know how, how a person gets through their day where cancer has come a long way. I'm certainly aware of that. But yet, you know, especially like a pediatric oncologist, how do you get through your day telling people one after another that their child has cancer? Oh, yeah. Has to be so so hard. A special person that could right. handle that mm-hmm. for any length of time, really. Right, I agree with you. It's very draining, but you you kind of you you have to figure it out because otherwise you can't provide the care for the individuals coming through the door if you don't take care of yourself. So you have to figure out what works for you. And for me, a lot of times it's um, just going home and vegetating on something ridiculous on television like Jane the Virgin or some silly show, you know, yeah. Arrested Development, Schitt's Creek, I, all of these silly hey, things. Hey, watch the language. That... <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that at the top. You should have. This yeah. is, this is, we're going for PG-13 here. <laughs> you're, you're, you're correct. I stand corrected. Uh, but, you know, it's just fun to uh, 
pour myself a small glass of wine and watch something silly on, on yeah. television. Yeah. The uh, Just switching gears a little bit, I was trying to think of a way to frame this question because I've really been looking forward to asking you this uh, since we spoke about uh, getting together. My perception is, and I don't think I don't think I'm alone, mm-hmm. uh, is that mental health issues, people that are diagnosed with depression, anxiety, whatever it might be, that that is in on the increase. That there's more now than than I recall when I was a kid or a young mm-hmm. adult even. Mm-hmm. Um, my question, I guess, is. Is that an accurate perception or is it just a perception? And really, it's always been this way, but for whatever reason, it's it gets more um, attention deservedly or mm-hmm. just at the point in my life where I recognize it. I don't, you know, or I hear about it more, but right. it, it sure seems. And I've talked to others that that echo that sentiment like, wow, it seems like there's more of this than than we remember from, sure. you know, even 10, 20 years ago. Is mm-hmm. that is that accurate? Statistically, it is not. It, when you look at the numbers, the the percentage of, of the world population that suffers from any kind of mental health issue, and that goes from the, the, the simple, if you can call it that, to the more complex, has stayed essentially the same. I think the reason we feel that way is, number one, the number of humans on the planet is larger. So, of course, that means, yes, are more people? Yes, coming forward. But the statistic is that the number has always stayed the same. So the percentage, percentage is the same. Do you, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Mm. Do you know about what that percentage is? I can't remember. I, 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 and I meant to look that up before I came here and I'm sorry. I okay. forgot. <laughs> no problem. No problem. But you're saying it's, it, the percentage is the same so that the, of the people you run into, the number of those uh, should, shouldn't be any different, I guess. It shouldn't be any different. I think the reason why we feel like it's greater is because it is talked about much more readily nowadays. Mm-hmm. In my parents' day, or even to a lesser degree when I was a, a young adult, it was not commonplace for people to go get therapy. Now, I think it's wonderful that people talk openly about it. There's kids from from the university here that I see who have referred their friends and they have no qualms at all about talking about their, their particular issues. And I think that's great. I think there's, we also have more knowledge. And so there's more, there's just more ways to receive information nowadays too. We're not waiting for the newspaper that shows up on the doorstep at five 30 in the afternoon anymore. If people want information, it's at their fingertips, literally, and they have a computer in their back pocket usually nowadays. So I think that that just with the advent of the way we receive information makes things seem like they might be larger than they are. Sure. That makes sense. So looking over trends over the, you know, the decades, um, if the kind of proportion of people Mm -hmm. is uh, steady, do you see that the, the causes or contributing factors to uh, mental health issues are changing that generate those numbers? Or is that also similar? Like, I, again, I'm, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> you hear common things um, like, well, people feel badly because of social media or mm-hmm. because uh, they have, there's an abundance or too many choices. You mentioned this earlier. Mm-hmm. So those seem like more recent phenomena. Do you feel like, 
there's changes in the the contributing factors to mental health issues, or is that also kind of the same as it's ever been? I th- I think that I, my opinion is that the answer is yes. I do feel like there are things that are societal things that are that are happening. Anxiety, for example, is an issue that has existed since humans existed. But I feel like anxiety is on the rise for a lot of reasons. Um, one of which is that that notion of choice is is bigger than it's ever been, so it's hard for people to make decisions. And I don't think that social media is helping. I, I'm I'm not going to say that social media is the problem, but I don't think it's helping because what I see in just talking this is this is purely observational. This is not research based. What I'm saying. But my observation is that so many people spend so much time being uh, ruled by Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or the myriad of other social media platforms that exist. And it's shocking to me when I talk to someone who's 50 years old and is upset that people didn't like their photo on whatever social media platform it is, or they didn't comment on their on their, whatever they said on social media. And I find it strange and, uh, childish in many ways. I'm not a social media person. I do, uh, Instagram and that's it. And I do that maybe once a week, but people have become very obsessed with it and very, uh, they can't go anywhere. They can't sit in a doctor's office and wait their turn without being on their phone and checking their social media. They can't sit at a traffic light without checking their social media. And I think it, it tends to make people who otherwise might not be anxious, very anxious. And actually there is research in, in about that, that social media is increasing people's depression and anxiety, hmm. actual research about that. So, you know, I think it's, I I know for a fact it's obviously something that's here to here to stay, but I think there's ways that people can control their behavior with it, that you don't have to be on it constantly, and if people don't quote like your post, don't let that bother you. Yeah. That's it, you know, and 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 of course I'm also a big advocate of people having real relationships rather than virtual relationships. I think it's much more effective to go have a cup of coffee with someone than it is to uh, text with them all day long. There's nothing wrong with that. I text with my kids every day of of the week, practically, my husband as well. But I just feel like sitting with someone with another human being is a much better way to live one's life. You know, I wonder about if, you know, one of the concerns I have, again, for my very unqualified seat, is that a growing percentage of our interpersonal communication is text-based. Right. Whether it's, you know, using literally text or social media or email, what Mm -hmm. have you, that I I don't know what, maybe there are studies about this, but it appears to me that there's a decrease in verbal communication, much less Mm face-to-face. So I was wondering about someone, if that is having an effect on people's ability in your work to articulate even because they're coming to see you, right? They're not right. text. You're not counseling them, I presume, via those tools. So people are coming to you in person. Do you find that um, people are able to skillfully articulate, you know, say to you what they're trying to deal with, or does that? Do you see any difference in that compared to when you first started in this line of work? I I don't really, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that. People come into my office armed with a lot of knowledge before they even walk through the door because they've already Googled it 
and they've looked up lots and lots of information. Yeah. And 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 I do respect that the information exists. I use Google all the time myself. But I think it's there's a difference between what Google can tell you and what an experienced clinician can tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, so can they articulate it? Yes, they can articulate it. A lot of times it's because they've been on the internet and they've looked a lot of information up. Yeah. Are you seeing any other kinds of trends in your work, especially recently? Uh, is there an uptick in the, the types of uh, issues that your clients are dealing with in one uh, arena or another? or a change in the demographics? Do you see any shifts just in your experience? I think depression and anxiety are on the rise among yeah, people with, with mental health issues. And I, I, you know, speculatively think there's a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, the, the research about social media is very clear. But I also think that in, in my observation, it does have to do with the, a, a lack of a lot of things in people's lives nowadays. Just a simple example is that people just don't go outside anymore. It turns out that people with depression have low levels of vitamin D. Hmm. And the reason is because people who have depression tend to stay indoors a lot. And the best vitamin D that we can get is from the sun outside. And people just don't go outdoors. They are very riveted to binge watching something. I'm guilty of that sometimes when I'm really tired, just binge watching something on Netflix. Okay, don't start swearing again. (laughs) (laughs) No more swearing. We we spoke about this. (laughs) But people tend to uh, cocoon themselves a little bit. Yeah. You know, rather than going to national parks, going to local parks, just going for a walk through their neighborhood, take the dog for a walk. People just don't go outdoors as much. and, And I don't think that's healthy. I think as human beings... That's where we started on the planet was mm-hmm. outdoors. And I think it's really good for people. I also think that people do tend to isolate more than ever before. Um, and they're very connected to their technology. And again, it's that lack of, of human interaction, which I don't think you can trade a computer for for a friend. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, until they come up with a robot friend, the <laughs> iFriend. This is true. I'm, we'll sure, have to... I'm sure. Well, you should patent that right away, the iFriend, and, and get it's a hold so of it. It's so creepy. No, somebody else can have it. They can I have agree it. with you. I agree. Well, what's interesting to me about that, your perception that anxiety and depression are on the increase, right? But that overall, the percentage of folks that are challenged by mental health issues is staying kind of constant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to me... Uh, that means that there are other diagnoses that are on the decrease. So on the positive side, right? There's some things that seem to be waning. Um, is that your perception that, oh, I'm seeing less of this, you know, more of the anxiety and depression, but fewer of these other types of cases? Right. I'm not sure that the other things are waning. I think it's just that the probably the depression and anxiety folks are coming more forward. Okay. Uh, there's also been a change to, I feel like a change to the, to the medical community in that doctors are more versed in mental health issues, I feel like, than they've ever been before. It used to be that they would just, a, a traditional like family medicine doc would immediately send someone to his psychiatric counterpart. Yep. And nowadays they, they are more versed in many of, of the aspects of, of mental health than they used to be. So I think maybe that's 
part of it as well. Also, you know, if a person has a, a particularly severe mental health issue that requires pharmaceuticals, then that has to come from a physician. And some people just stop there. If they go to their physician and they say, I have X, Y, and Z problem, and the doctor does a diagnosis and says, yes, you do have X, Y, and Z, here's this. And they give them some sort of prescription. And I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah. I'm just saying that might be the answer to what you're saying. Your question is, do I see these other things waning? No, I don't think that they're waning. I think they that maybe there's just different approaches to it nowadays. Okay. And of course, my understanding is these types of things can be layered, right? They can be stacked. It isn't an mm-hmm. either or. Right. Someone can have a, a one diagnosis combined yep. with depression mm-hmm. or anxiety. And I, again, my unqualified impression is that, that that's common, right? That it's extremely common. It's called comorbidity. And yes, people typically come with more than one diagnosis. And, you know, as I often say to people, unfortunately, depression is a, is a disorder that loves to party. So it wants to just tack on to whatever else you've got. And, and as you can understand, if you're diagnosed with some sort of mental health disorder, it would be depressing to have that disorder. So it just kind of tags along and anxiety as well. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about the, the decrease in, um, time spent outdoors, mm-hmm. which that sounds right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd imagine in addition to sort of the recreational time spent, you know, looking at screens or, you know, isolating, as you mentioned, the preponderance of jobs has shifted from mm-hmm. being an agriculturally oriented economy uh, in this country to being much more, um, you know, factory. Right. And then now ever more. Uh, office work, mm-hmm. you know, where you're indoors by design mm-hmm. for a large portion of the daylight hours. Sure. Right? Or people are working from their home. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, these these uh, information uh, related jobs are that way. It's different mm-hmm. than plowing a field. You know, you're going to be inside when it's prime vitamin D time. Right. Hey, that could be a poster or slogan. <laughs> <You're> good. <laughs> you got to patent these things so Thanks. nobody steals your idea. Yeah, that one I'm keeping. Nobody else take that there one. There you go. <laughs> Prime vitamin D time. <laughs> um, as a, if we could shift back to the life coach part of your work, because sure. I know that they're distinct in a lot of cases. What would be some of your most common, your most common advice, generically speaking? So. You know, for myself or someone listening to the listening to this, um, in general, you should keep lists, or you should always think only about the future. I, I don't know. Are there are there some common <laughs> right. ones there that you don't mind sharing that that you tend to offer related to life mean, coaching? In, right. Okay. So in regard to life coaching, yeah, regarding to life coaching. Well, it's, this is going to sound so trite because you've heard it a thousand times. I've heard it a thousand times, but yet it still remains true. People need to find what they love in life, your passion, as it were. Mm-hmm. And every job does not have passion associated with it, but you have to start somewhere to build towards those things that you that you love. I can't imagine how horrible it would be to spend 30 or 40 years at a job that I hated. Yeah. And you know, people will often say to me, well, I really love being a school teacher, but it doesn't pay anything. And I always tell people, I I don't disagree with them, but you still need to follow what you love. And, And I believe, and maybe it's my optimistic nature, but I believe that the money will come. But I still think no matter what the 
what the career choice is, you need to have some investment of yourself in it. In other words, something that makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And interestingly too, the number one thing that people come to me with as an overarching statement besides, and I'm not talking about depression or anxiety or personality disorder, but the thing that people are most looking for is how to be happy in life. Yeah. Such a basic idea, but so challenging. It is so challenging. And yet at the same time, it's challenging because many people don't know how to do it. But at the same time, it's really one of the simplest things that, that we can accomplish. And I believe that it comes through human interaction, social engagement, being outdoors, exercising. And I also believe it, it's really, really healthy to be grateful that every single day to take a moment and say, these are the things today that I'm grateful for. Because mm-hmm. gratitude actually has been also shown through studies to be one of the foremost healthy things that we can do for ourselves. Oh. What are the other three? I, I mean, I'm on board with gratitude. <laughs> oh, uh, other things that you can do for. <laughs> yeah, you said there was there was a collection of four things. Gratitude's one of them. That oh, you can yes, in do for in yourself. in regard to finding happiness. Yeah, yeah. Um, social engagement. Okay. Um, and and by that it it's it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. It's sharing a cup of coffee with somebody. It's sure. having dinner with your family. You know, social engagement doesn't mean you have to go out and find people. You can have social engagement with your own family, like sitting at the table and having dinner. Um, another thing that really um, research shows really makes people happy is generosity. Mm. When we are generous to other people, it makes us happier. We are happier when we give than when we get. Yep. So it, always remembering that. And we can give, you know, when that, that's something that when I often mention it to people, they're like, well, I don't have any money. It's like, it's not about money. In fact, generosity is 100% free. You can be gener- generous by holding a door open for someone. You can be generous by reading to a kid at a local elementary school. Yeah. Generosity comes in a lot of simple ways. Yeah, sharing your time, your energy, right? That's yes, a, exactly. A, a donation, if you will, that you're making to another person doesn't have to be money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I yeah. and the other thing too, and this one is a little harder for people, it's sort of that old expression, look on the bright side. Mm-hmm. Find the positive. I don't care what's going on in the world. And I'm of course I'm not a doomsday person anyway, but I don't care how bad things look. There's a way to put a positive spin on everything. Yeah. If something bad happens, then then focus on how many people went to the blood bank that day. If something bad happens, then then look at all the people that donated bottled water, you know, mm-hmm. to the Bahamas, let's say, after a storm. There's a way out of any situation to find the positive. And in, in fact, Fred Rogers, you may remember Mr. Rogers' oh, neighborhood. Oh, very well. One of the things he said was that something that got him through his childhood is that whenever something happened and it would be on the news, his mother would always look at him and say, look for the helpers. And so he would see the, an EMT or a firefighter or, or whatever the case may be. And she always said, look for the helpers. And I thought that was such a beautiful and positive statement. And I think it's true for all of us. Find the positive wherever you can. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. Uh, you know, it seems that seems daunting just to be candid uh, mm-hmm. with the information that is readily available, presented mm-hmm. constantly. I mean, if uh, unless you're just dialing up music, you listen to sort of any other mm-hmm. information, media, heck, even in fiction right now. 
Right. It's a lot of bad news, right? It's it's things mm-hmm. that are happening that are yeah, kind of a constant onslaught of this bad situation, whether it's something to do with, you know, the world at large or even mm-hmm. your own neighborhood, the, mm-hmm. you know, the the crime report in the paper every day or in the news. Mm-hmm. You know, there's it's um there's a preponderance of of uh not looking on the bright side, of thinking of of all the folks that are you know, up to no good or bad things have happened to. I mean, that's right. that's what seems to draw eyeballs, right? People are really dialed into that. Mm-hmm. And it must be a, a part of our our nature, you know, why people slow down and look at car accidents. It's not because it's, right. you know, a good thing, mm-hmm. but we're, we have a, a morbid curiosity mm-hmm. or a, there must be something wired into us, right? As people I think there that, is. That makes us want to see bad things. Well, I think there is. It's sort of a protection instinct because if you know that something bad happened, you know, then you protect yourself from that very specific thing. But I also believe that um, once you've heard something on the news or in the paper, wherever, whatever your source is, then stop repeating it over and over again. I don't think it's healthy that people will watch something bad that happens and watch it over and over again. When CNN is finished showing it, then they switch over to MSNBC and they watch it again on there. And when, when they take a a commercial break, they flip over to Fox and they watch it there. And then while they're doing that, they're also reading a Twitter feed and they're looking at Facebook and they're looking at the emails. And maybe sharing with others. Hey, did you see this terrible thing that happened? Right. And we're just reinforcing it. I'm not suggesting that bad things aren't happening. I'm well aware that many bad things are happening. But the truth is, bad things have always happened. And it's, I, I don't think that's, and I don't know this for a fact, this is this is purely speculative on my part, but I don't know that things are any worse. I think the way we receive information makes it seem compounded and yeah. makes it seem worse. It used to be that when I was growing up, my parents got a newspaper once a day and the news came on at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon. It came on once and it was 30 minutes long and then it ended. Yeah. And there weren't 15 other ways that we could watch the news on television because we had three TV channels. And we also obviously didn't have the internet and a wide variety of other sources for, for listening to news and information. I'm not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent. It's just what it was at the time. Yeah, right. But I feel like when people hear something, even if it's the same thing over and over and over again, it makes it seem even worse than it actually is. And to me, I agree with you. To me, there's a second factor, which is it's not just that they've got multiple opportunities to consume mm-hmm. the news, which mm-hmm. is often bad. Right. But there's also the desire, uh, it appears by people to then distribute it themselves, right? right. They're they're sharing things. They're uh, letting other folks know in their mm-hmm. circle that hey, did you see this bad thing? Right? Mm-hmm. They're sharing that. They they feel not just the need to consume it, um, and it is readily available, mm-hmm. but also make it even more available. Make right. sure everybody's heard about this. You know, it, it and I, and I see it. I do it. I think I just mm-hmm. you know it seems like a part of our nature for. Um, that is counterproductive, or maybe it is based on some survival instinct, but the spreading of bad news is um, one of our skills. Oh, I agree as with a you. species, mm-hmm. right? We're very good at that. You know, getting the word out right. about something bad this person did, or mm-hmm. this big accident that happened. You know, we, it just gets out there right away, mm-hmm. and it's almost a a compulsion. It appears to me, you know, that that's the, the availability of the information you spoke about. Right, that's not just the 
the media sources per se. Right. But then it's us as the consumers redistributing it, you know, um, popularizing it. Like oh, we're I all kind of in agree. it together, right? It's right. We're, we're getting the news in all these new ways and, and then making sure that everybody's got it, <laughs> you know? True. Well, and a challenge with that too is that when people repeat it, as we know, memory is a failing thing. Sure. When something happens to you and you retell that story, you automatically tell it differently than the way it actually happened sure. if we had it on video. And so the retelling gets very skewed as well. And that's not healthy either. Yeah. Yep. Let's step aside for just a second. Sure. And we're going to hear from our sponsors. Okay. <laughs> First, beautiful Sanderson microphones. Proudly built with appearance and presentation in mind. For the discerning podcaster like me, radio personalities, stage performers, or anyone else who cares about a great-looking microphone and is willing to accept mediocre sound. Sanderson microphones when only looks matter. And by Dan Mitchell's Real Store. As mentioned on earlier episodes, Dan Mitchell's Real Store is a place where you go, in person, to see and buy things that are really there. At Dan's, you'll find a building and people inside that building that you can talk to and who will sell you stuff. And just for the uptake listeners, Dan is offering free shipping on all items you buy in the store, carry out the door, and take to your home, work, or wherever you want. To take advantage of this free shipping offer, just mentioned the Uptake podcast. And by Chunkies. Tired of socks that tell the world you're too soft? Chunkies socks made with real reclaimed construction rubble pummel your feet and toughen your spirit. So tell all those millennial marshmallows to step aside. You're walking tall in the world's most brutal socks. Chunkies. Real discomfort for real hard-ass Americans. Find Chunkies in the masonry aisle at Home Depot or anywhere rocks are sold. Let's say that you know people in your life, loved ones, people you care about, and you are concerned about them because you believe they might need some professional help that they may be experiencing a mm-hmm. mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And you're not you're not a professional yourself. You, sure. you don't really know what to look for. You can certainly do a little research, but that mm-hmm. you know only gets you so far. How would you advise someone to handle that situation? If you have someone in your life and you think... I'm concerned enough uh, about them that they might have some sort of a you know an actual mental health mm-hmm. issue. How, first, how do you how do you go about recognizing one? I mean, is that even doable for the layman, or is that better left to the professionals to even start to go down that road of of you know perceiving that someone you know sure has something like that? I think the you know I think most people I have. Um at least a a smattering of knowledge. And again, because information is so relevant, uh, uh, available, readily available, yeah. uh, that they can look at somebody and say, this behavior is, is odd. This behavior is unusual. This behavior is not like this person at all. And they can just recognize sometimes it's just sort of common sense. You know, it isn't, it isn't necessarily rocket science that, that if you have a, a, a relative who's always been outgoing and always done lots of things and then suddenly becomes uh, like a hermit, you know that's not their norm and you know that's not healthy behavior. So I think sometimes it's just knowing people 
Mm -hmm. know, it's like being aware of people. This goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago about relationships. It's like when you're in relationship with people, you're aware of, of changes to their behavior. Yep. And so, you know, then it's, it's just really keeping the lines of communication open yeah. and talking to people. And of course, sometimes you're going to hit a wall. Yeah. You know, there are those that are like, there's nothing wrong with me and you and the horse you rode in on can both leave. Yeah. I'm not interested. Um, depending upon the severity of it, you might have to take it to another level, which might be possibly calling their physician and saying, next time this person comes in, could you possibly address X, Y, and Z And with that's them? okay to do, to call someone else's doctor and express the concern. Mm -hmm. I, I never thought of that. I, Right. Yes. I guess you'd have to find out who their doctor was. That could you be would. another conversation. You would. That would be a different conversation. I mean, if it's a friend, I, I know, you know, but if it's a friend and you don't know yeah. that kind of information, then I would take it to, if, if they have a spouse, if they have yeah. a child, or if it's a child, talk to the parent. Um, if the person is in school and you have a guidance counselor or a principal or a dean or whatever that right. heading is in a school... Try to find some resource to help you if they're not open to the idea. Yeah, I've had people call me before and say, you know, like they're someone in their family perhaps might be my client and someone else in the family will call me and say, I just want to tell you this. And then they'll tell me something. Now I can neither confirm nor deny that I'm even seeing the person that they're referring to, Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they tell me something and I will sort of log in in the back of my brain, write it down in their notes and find a way to... We slowly bring that into the conversation with them and see if I can can pull it out of them. Okay, fair enough. Shifting gears completely. Okay. All right. Do you enjoy cooking? Oh, I love to cook. Okay. Favorite thing to cook, go. My favorite thing to cook is a homemade chicken noodle soup. And the reason it is my favorite thing is because... Whenever anyone is sick, my any one of my three adult children is sick, they will call me and say, Mom, could you please make the chicken noodle soup? And that's all they have to say. I know what they mean, and I love it because it, it, is, a, it is a happy soup because well, it means so much to my family. Well, as a professional caregiver, now you've sparked a new question for me. <laughs> okay. Which is, what's the deal with chicken soup? Is it Does it actually have any health benefit beyond any other salty food? Like, you know, people, hey... Drink your chicken soup. It's going right. to make you feel better. Right. I don't know. There's going to be a thousand things that are going to make you feel better. Right? What's, what's I think with chicken soup? Is there an actual benefit? You're the, you're the professional. Okay. I, 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 uh, I would guess, of course, chicken is high in protein. Sure. And then there's some vegetables in there. Um, a warm broth. If you, if you are, you know, congested or have the flu or something, a warm broth going into your insides just makes you feel good. So I think that more than anything, it's in our, it's in our heads that chicken noodle soup works. <laughs> what but you if just it said, works, it works. <laughs> what you just said was like, you know, uh, 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 beef stew. It could the be same beef criteria. stew. Nobody exactly. says stay home and drink your beef stew. They don't. You're right. I don't know. I don't know where the tradition comes from. I know that it. Um, there was a whole series of books, Chicken yeah. Soup for the Soul. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of mystery about chicken soup. I'm out on I don't chicken know. Soup. <laughs> it's fine. I don't think it does anything special. <laughs> well, don't tell my children because they all think it, it has healing properties. We'll probably have to cut this out because the you know, chicken soup lobby will get a hold of it. I'm sure they will. That's all they. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's all they need to hear. I mean, if this thing goes off the air suddenly, it's you know why. Go to Campbell's. Look at the Campbell's, folks. <laughs> Suspect number one. Yeah, I'm not opposed to Campbell's, but mine is not Campbell's. <laughs> yeah, I bet it's... Uh, yeah, sorry, don't listen, Campbell's. I bet it's much better than Campbell's. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, Angela... Uh, this has really been uh, illuminating uh, and interesting and helpful. Thank you. Thanks for spending the time with me and talking about it. And thanks for what you do for people. Thank I think you. it's really important. You know, one of the things you said very early on in our conversation is related to a positive development and that it does seem to be more, um, I'm struggling for the word, accepted, okay mm-hmm. to talk about. You know, I think there's still a certain stigma people might feel or could be concerned with, but it does feel like, you know, it is more readily utilized again in, in just in, right. in my perspective on the world. It does seem like people are availing themselves of your services and, mm-hmm. and uh, your colleagues' services. And that, that seems like a good thing. So just talking about it like this, I think is great. I and, agree with you. I, th- I think too, just as an aside, I think that very often people view mental health counseling as something that is it's necessary to have a big looming problem or to have a a terrible difficult diagnosis but that isn't the case you know we all struggle and every person no matter how great your life is no matter how happy you are we have struggles and sometimes we just need somebody that's not our mother father sister brother to talk to yeah and that is a a lot of my clientele as well people that are just struggling with normal things that i've struggled with before that you've probably struggled with and they just want to hear from somebody else yep how can i how can i maybe rectify this problem yeah and i would imagine the distance that that person would mm-hmm. have that's not their relative, mm-hmm. not their loved one, is helpful, right? Oh, here's right. this person. I just get to lay it out for them mm-hmm. without any of the other um, surrounding feelings or history that right. you might have with someone or the mm-hmm. concern that they'll then think differently of you, you know, Absolutely. the next day. I, I think that's a wonderful service. Mm-hmm. And, um yeah, thank you for doing that for people. Sure. Thank and thanks you. for doing this today for me and, and being on the, the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> the Uptake was brought to you today by our sponsors, Sanderson Microphones, Dan's Real Store, and Chunkies. Thanks again to Angela for being here. Our music is once again courtesy of Kevin McLeod. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned for a few more bonus moments with Angela. So you mentioned Mr. Rogers earlier. Right. Um, I'm probably going to regret sharing this. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. When I was in college, I was part of a, it's going to sound better than it really was i guess uh-huh. in retrospect i was part of an improv group <clears throat> cool that was fleeting i think we did stuff for a few months or a semester i don't really recall the exact sure. time but it didn't last very long and you know as part of improv you have to come up sometimes with skit ideas and so i had the skit idea that i thought was going to be fantastic based on mr rogers <laughs> and of course you remember the beginning of mr rogers neighborhood mm-hmm. he comes in singing the song right changes his shoes and sweater and that's it uh-huh. he's coming in and he's getting changed right i thought wouldn't it be funny to do a one-man <laughs> act 
where I come out singing the Mr. Rogers theme song and I'm stripping. <laughs> you know, I thought this would kill, right? You know, Mr. Rogers loses his the mind, song right? And, you know, the whole stripper act, the whole sure, thing. I sure. thought, what a great setup, right? And it didn't go that way at all. I mean, I did the, I did the skit and thank God when we were doing this, you know, uh, video was very uncommon. People didn't have smartphones or any of that. Sure, thank God, sure. because there is no evidence of this except for my, um, my, my damaged soul because the worst thing in that kind of performance, of course, isn't booze. It's complete silence. I'm sure. I'm sure. So that did not go as hoped. That is funny. And though. I didn't live it down <clears throat> among my group for quite some time. I as, bet. And I shouldn't have. I bet. It was really, really bad. But I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be hysterical. Well, in theory, it sounds funny to me. The idea of, you know, like Fred Rogers, instead of putting the cardigan on, he's like, you know, doing right. this. Like that's doing the deal, this right? Every show he starts off changing his clothes. <clears throat> right, it's kind right. of weird for a kid's show, right? Like, here we go. Right. We sit down in different shoes, the sweater. Sure. What's the routine? I get it. But I thought this would be a funny riff on that. And it just, it was real bad. Probably would have flown better in uh, on an SNL skit or something like that. Maybe. Well, you know, you have these visions of grandeur. And I thought that that's exactly what this was like. Right. You know, hey, I got this brilliant idea. This is pure comedy. And it did not, it did not go over. That's funny. <laughs> the story about the event, I think, is more entertaining than the actual event. I'm sure it is. So, see, you should have someone interview you and talk about about that. And you could be the guest. Great. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know that I'm the right interviewer. The tables are turned. Indeed. <laughs> Let's talk about me. <laughs> should get Jen to be your um, interviewer or Belle. Oh, she, she, they've both had an earful for me. They don't. They don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Since you mentioned to me the other day that you like to listen to podcasts, have you ever listened to the ones from uh, the Life Is Good Company? No. I think you would really enjoy them. Uh, they are, you know, that company is is huge, and it's yeah. owned by two brothers, and they started creating these podcasts, I think a year ago. And their purpose, which I love because I am a very optimistic person, was sort of to put good into the world, which is sort of the philosophy of their whole company. You know, life is good. Okay. The life is good, folks. Mm -hmm. I know them from their bumper stickers. Yes. And it's called, I'm looking for you. It's called the life is good. It's either ping or ding or it's a word like that. That's weird. <laughs> I know. The life is good ping? I, I, yeah. And and I don't know I don't know why it it's called that. But I think I'm getting older. I don't even know what that means. I'm, I'm sure it means something I don't certainly don't understand. <laughs> I'm way older than you. So. I think it's ping, so let me try that. It is. It's called the Life is Good Ping Podcast. Okay. Do you get a lot of people that come into the office that are just hopping mad about the life is good bumper stickers? No, I have not. They're just really hacked. You know, today was not a good day and I get behind somebody in their Jeep with their big life is good <laughs> tire cover. I'm like, it's not good today. You don't need to just shove that in my face. Okay, good for you. Uh-huh. It could but have the opposite effect. It can make people, you know, go ballistic. 
I guess it could, but you know, to me, I look at it, it's like when I'm talking to people about gratitudes and they tell me they have nothing to be grateful for. Sure. And I look at, and I have one of those life is good things on my oh, card that do? I, I do. Okay. It, mine's a magnet. You're the a problem. Small, I am the problem. Mine's a small magnet about this big. Uh-huh. But I always look at people It's not going to who... be on that car when you go out after this. <laughs> toss that thing in the woods. <laughs> But see, when you the next time you're behind the Jeep with the big tire cover that says mm-hmm. life is good, and I happen to think those are adorable, um, of course I would, but you, you need to stop and say, yeah, this day sucks. This day, this moment sucks. But everything passes in life. Everything. Our sadness passes. Our happiness passes. Our joy passes. Our grieving passes. Everything passes. But still, the life... The bigger picture. It's good. It is good. You just gave me a product idea. So. Uh huh. We've got the life is good bumper stickers. Mm -hmm. The life is good tire covers. That's fine. There's a place for that. I agree with it. Sure. We do have it really good. But hear me out. There's a market for today sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Right? You're going to have buyers Mm -hmm. on that, right? Hopefully, they matriculate on to, uh, you know, life is good. They get uh-huh. to that point. Great. Good for them. That's sure. part of the journey. But there's also part of the journey where today sucks. Let's get a bumper sticker for that. It, that's yeah. just all it says. Same, you know, mm-hmm. use the same sort of a type right. and everything. Life yeah. sucks. Well, sorry, that's too harsh. Today sucks. Today sucks. Right. This is really crappy. Put that on a <laughs> on the back of a Jeep, you know, with like a frowny face. Yeah. Eventually, hopefully, they get the other one. Get the smiley and the life is good. Just, just think about it. I think there's a market for that. I, I, I don't disagree with you. You know, there's a there's a book that that I read that is called "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F-. And of there course, you go again. Word, <laughs> sorry, we're not taping. Right? Who who knew you would be the most <laughs> most swearing person? In oh your... no, I, it's it's recorded, and I'm going to bleep it out. But everyone's going to know. I was listening to Taylor Swift's new CD. Yeah. Um, Keep your eye on her. She's going places. Oh, no kidding. I mean, <laughs> like, like, what is she, 25 now? And it's Great like, things in store for her in the future. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right? Uh, but that, getting in on the ground floor right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> You're sending messages out to people. Please. please Save send, me. Please Save send help. Me. <laughs> I'm texting you. I don't think he knows what I'm doing.